If you have a story you would like to hear featured on this podcast, please go to AsTheRavenDreams.com and click the button to submit your story. Also, if the platform you're listening on has the option to rate this podcast, please consider doing so. And thank you. This story began when I was 19 years old. I was living in a large Canadian city. I had graduated high school the year prior and was struggling to find a job while deciding what I wanted to study in college. For context, I was living in a crowded neighborhood and just a five-minute walk up the street, you would reach a busier road with lots of little cafes, small markets, Pharmacies, bars, restaurants, parks, pretty much everything you needed was nearby, and everybody knew everybody. My father spent his retirement days taking a walk up the street to meet his buddies at the bar. One of his close friends worked as a janitor at the pharmacy just across the street, and due to his troubling back pains, he offered me a job to help him clean the building after hours to help ease the pain off his back, and he would pay me cash every week. Of course, I accepted. It was short hours, easy cash, and very close by. Best of all, I would have an empty building to work in, and I did not need to interact with people. Since the pharmacy building was just across the street from the bar that my father would most likely be at, I would stop to chat with him before going to work. One of my father's friends, let's call him Frank, a 60-plus-year-old man, was having a beer with my father one afternoon. Frank was always really friendly to me, and I didn't mind interacting with him. However, things have shifted, and I started feeling afraid of Frank. One evening, as I'm working in the pharmacy clearing out the trash and mopping the floors, I glanced out the front door, which thankfully are locked by this hour. I noticed Frank pacing back and forth right in front of the building. I thought nothing of it, and I continued cleaning up. An hour later, I pass by the front doors again and notice that Frank is still standing outside. By this point... It's nearly 10 p.m. and dark outside. I unlocked the door and asked if he was okay. He responded by saying that he wanted to know what time I got off work. Being young and naive, I thought that was okay to ask since I knew him. And I told him that I finish whenever I'm done cleaning up, but I didn't mention that I was nearly done for the night. Luckily... By the time I was finished and was ready to head home, the street was completely dead silent and deserted. The very next night, I headed out to work at 5pm and began cleaning up. This building is divided into two separate buildings, the main one and one office next door as a different address. This means that sometimes I need to exit the main building and walk outside to get to the other building. This night, 
I had my mop with me and a few garbage bags heading into the next door building. As I stepped outside, there was Frank, standing around again facing the building, as if he was waiting for me. I felt uncomfortable, and a little bit afraid. He tried talking to me, but I cannot remember what he was trying to say, as I was too focused on hurrying over to the next building. I got inside and locked the door right behind me, leaving Frank outside. It was a small office building, so I was done within 30 minutes. As I headed to the door to head out, Frank was still standing there. I didn't want to leave until he was gone. At some point, my boss calls me on my cell phone to ask me why I'm taking so long. I couldn't help but explain to him that Frank, who he was also friends with, was standing outside waiting for me. A minute later, I heard my boss come outside and yelled at Frank to leave me alone while I'm working. Thank goodness. I finished my work for that night, and I peeked out the doors to see if the coast is clear before heading home. I was relieved to see that not a single person was out there. Then again, it was after 10pm. I walked up the street to wait for the crosswalk to turn green so I could cross and head home. As I'm waiting, I hear someone behind me. I turn to see who it is, and, sure enough, it's Frank. I wanted to cry out of frustration and fear. He approached me and began a normal conversation, pretending that he wasn't being creepy at all. He was telling me that he wanted to take me to the movies that night. I laughed and was too shy to tell him to screw off and just said, What? It's late already. He said it was okay, and there were movies that late at night anyways, and I insisted that I should go home to change, meet him back at the corner, and he would wait there at the corner for me to come back, and then take me to the movies. He asked for my phone number, and being too scared and stupid, I began giving him my digits. Luckily, I snapped back into focus mode and changed the last two of my digits. I pretended to go home to change and to meet him later. I hope he waited there all night because I went to shower and got into bed, peacefully sleeping. A few days later, I went up the street to visit my dad at the bar before my next shift. The store connected to the bar had a shoe sale going on, and had set up a table full of shoes outside to attract more customers. I walked past, not interested anyway, but there was Frank, just outside the bar. He stopped me, and he guided me to the table full of discounted shoes and said that he wanted to buy me a pair, whichever pair I liked. By this point, I was fed up, and I ignored him and entered the bar, I approached my dad and he noticed Frank talking to me outside and asked what we talked about. I was too embarrassed to tell him the truth, so I said, Oh, uh, nothing, really. Right after I answered that, Frank was standing at the doorway of the bar talking to some guys, and my blood started to boil. And 
I ended up telling my father the truth instead. Actually, he offered to buy me a pair of shoes. Absolutely enraged, my father stood up tall in his chair and gave me a look of, what did you just say? I then told him everything. Frank has been waiting for me outside of work, too, and he tried taking me to the movies late at night one night. My father did not even waste another second. He walked up to Frank and right away punched him right in the neck in front of a crowd of people. Don't you ever speak to my daughter again. Don't you ever approach her, you son of a bitch, he yelled. Frank was shocked, apologized to my dad repeatedly, looked me right in the eyes and apologized to me as he walked away. I thought that was the end of it. I hadn't seen Frank anywhere for a few weeks after that, when, suddenly, my dad started going to a different bar, just ten steps away from the first one. It was much darker, quieter, and really just a depressing-looking bar. The further in you go, the darker it gets. My father and I sat at a little table and started chit-chatting. From the top of his shoulder, I noticed a man sitting in the far end of the bar in almost complete darkness. I knew it was Frank, but I didn't panic nor did I mention it to my father because I knew he was staying away after being throat-punched in public. Eventually, my dad moved to sit at the bar instead of the table, so of course, I followed. Frank then sat a little bit closer to us, still keeping a distance, though. After starting to feel uncomfortable from Frank's stares, I asked my father, Can we sit at the front of the bar? I just want to be closer to some sunlight. He agreed, so we moved again to the very front. A minute later, Frank changed tables again, closer to us once more. He looked really angry and revengeful, I can't explain it. He just looked very pissed off, unlike the Frank that I knew beforehand. After a while, we decided to head home. It's a five-minute walk for me, but my father being elderly with physical issues, he needs to take a few breaks here and there to rest his back and catch his breath. While we were walking, he needed to take his first breaks, so he sat down on the edge of someone's concrete fence as I waited for him to rest, I noticed in quite some distance behind us, Frank was heading our way. But he just stopped, standing in the middle of the sidewalk, just staring in our direction. He was far enough away that I wasn't too worried. My dad got up and we continued walking, having no idea who was behind us. A minute later, he needed to rest again. I turned around to check, and, of course, Frank was still there. He seemed to stop walking every time we stopped walking. This happened a few times, and I was getting more and more freaked out. Frank didn't know where I lived. Even though I lived so close to work, where he was stalking me, he never really followed me home, thankfully. Until that day. We got really close to the house now, and Frank was catching up behind us. I didn't want him to know where I lived, so 
I lied to my dad and said, I really need to use the washroom. Do you mind if I go ahead? Of course, he had no problem with that, and I hurried up home. I wanted to get inside before Frank saw which house that I went into. I immediately went up to my bedroom window, which faces the road that we were on. This is when I noticed my hurrying home made no difference, because Frank could just wait and see which house my father went into. As I'm watching through my bedroom window, I saw that my father noticed who was behind him. He yelled at him to screw off. I guess my father protected us also and stood there until Frank went way beyond him, so he didn't see where we lived. After a while, Frank very slowly walked past every house, my father standing a dozen feet behind him waiting for him to leave. He looked at every house trying to see if he could see me through a window. I was well hidden. He wouldn't have seen me. As he continued making his way down the street, he got so frustrated that he started punching himself in the head a few times. I can't help but wonder what his plan was. If he was so angry and following us home that day for the first time with that face full of rage... This was the last time I ever saw him, before I learned years later that he got severely mentally ill and was put into an institution. So, Frank, let's never, ever meet again. Back when Facebook started to become really popular, I found myself adding everyone I knew that I could. My 10-year high school reunion was coming up, and I wanted to reconnect with some of my friends that I had lost touch with. Thanks to Facebook, I was able to find one girl in particular that I used to be really close with, and when we were together, it was like time was never lost. Because I was trying to find so many old friends and even family members that I'd lost touch with, it wasn't uncommon for me to just accept any friend request that I got. And so, when I got a friend request from Vince, I looked at his profile, which showed he was the same age as myself, that he graduated the same year, and even had a few mutual friends. I didn't hesitate to add him. I know it may have been dumb of me to assume that he went to the same school as him, but it all seemed reasonable at the time. After adding him, he even messaged me shortly after asking how I had been. I even asked him what classes he took because I couldn't remember him, and he named a few teachers that I had. Again, I chalked it up to it having been a decade since I last saw him, or maybe he was just more of an acquaintance. So, we continued talking, and it was always friendly banter. There was never anything more than that, because I was in a very happy and healthy relationship at the time. He even mentioned meeting up sometime, and maybe this is me not being able to read between the lines, but I remember saying that I couldn't wait to see everyone at the reunion that was coming up. Thinking back to the conversation... I remember he stopped responding at talks of the reunion, 
or that he would cut it short. As mentioned, my friend that I reconnected with, Miranda, and I had already been hanging out. The reunion was going to be in October because it was also going to be a costume party, but we made plans to go to the state fair in September as a double date. Her and her husband, Garrett, as well as me and my boyfriend at the time, Miguel. We all met up, introduced each other as the guys hadn't met yet, and just started walking around and talking without actually doing anything at the fair. We finally got around to a few games, and then we stopped to get something to eat. Miguel went to find an open picnic bench while the other two were getting the food. I went to buy a pitcher of beer. While I was waiting in line, I heard my name being called, and when I turned in the direction of the voice, I was met with Vince. I greeted him with a smile and a hug, asked him how he had been, and we briefly talked. I told him that he should say hi to Miranda, and since he seemed to be waiting in line too, I grabbed my pitcher and told him I would be right back with her. They were already at the table, so I explained to the group who I had just seen, and Miranda followed me back. But when we got there, he was already gone. I tried explaining to Miranda what Vince looked like and what I knew about him, but she could not seem to remember or place him. Again, we just shrugged and thought that maybe we would run into him later and continued on with our night. Later that night, as we started winding down, I wanted to get on the Ferris wheel. It was always my favorite, and I'd had fond memories as a kid on it, so... Miguel and I took it while Miranda and Garrett waited. The first time around, we stopped close to the top and looked over the side and waved down at them. However, I noticed Vince standing down there off to the side. He was looking up at us, and he appeared angry. It was one of those moments when you see someone that looks like they're in a bad mood and passing, and you kind of just think, what's wrong with them? but then you move on. So, I made a mental note that he looked mad and just went back to our ride. The second time around, we stopped dead center at the very top, and just like I had seen in the movies, Miguel had decided to propose to me. It was super sweet, and this also had my head all over the place, so while I'm thinking about everything at once, Miguel shouts over the side, "'Hey, she said yes!' and Miranda shouts back. When we got back down and off the Ferris wheel, I walked up to my friends and we talked a bit. I showed her the ring and even had a few people congratulate us. While we were caught up in the moment, we heard from the side, You whore. At first I looked around with one of those, yikes, moments, but continued on with the conversation until Vince pushed his way through to stand by us. That was when I realized that he was the one that had said that. I just looked up at him, and he said something like, So what? He just wanted to lead me on and break my heart? Then he looked at Miguel and told him something like, I'd pass on this one if I were you, along with some other choice adjectives. 
at this point, I didn't know what to say, so I just stared at him. I had told Miguel about Vince as well as the other friends that I'd reconnected with so he knew about him, and as mentioned, there was nothing romantic between him and I. After all this, I even went back and looked through my messages, and there was nothing that was ever said that could have been hinted towards something romantic. So, this just came out of nowhere to me. Thankfully, Miguel was able to speak and tried telling Vince that he needed to back off, when Vince shoved him and pulled out a small knife. He started shouting and insulting me more, saying that he would make sure everyone in the state knew about who I was. The next thing I know, Garrett punches Vince and gets him to drop the knife, and then he takes off. We were just going to let it go since he left, but someone else had apparently called the cops, so we told them what all had happened. They actually found him, and he was charged since he had a weapon. Again, looking back, I'm kind of glad they did, because who knows what he would have tried if we were more secluded, like while walking back to our cars. We all tried to calm down and decided to hit up a local bar to unwind a bit more. After that night, Vince tried to message me a few more times. Just more disrespectful banter, and he even tried the same thing with Miguel and Miranda. He also tried to message other friends from school, which made for awkward conversations at the reunion. However, it also cleared some things up. After speaking to several people, no one recognized this guy. We even went through yearbooks and checked our class, as well as the graduating classes before us and after us, but there was no one that looked like him or went by the name Vince. We finally decided that it was just some creepy guy that was adding random people, and I guess I was his lucky target. Thankfully, after my friends all told him to shove off and... Everyone, including myself, blocked him. I never heard from him again. So, at the very least, my proposal anniversary was definitely memorable for multiple reasons. And as for Vince, I hope that we never meet again. It was the month of January, and I had just gotten done with my exams at college. I'm 21, and being in a long-distance relationship, I hadn't seen my boyfriend in over three months. Since I had some free time, my boyfriend and I planned this getaway trip to the mountains, as it was the prime time to experience the snow. Although this meant that I would have to fly out to his city, I've never been there before, so I was a little skeptical at first, because this trip had to be kept a secret from my parents, not approving me having a boyfriend, let alone traveling with him, but we had been together for five years, so I was determined to go. All of my friends knew about this trip and had all the required details. Fast forward to the day of my flight. I was seated in the window seat next to a fairly older guy, probably in his late 30s. I was on my phone, and so was he. 
he was texting someone back and forth, and I remember thinking how annoying his phone's notification ringtone was. He gave me a very weird vibe the moment he sat next to me, but I shrugged it off as I thought it was just prejudice against him. As the flight took off, I noticed no one occupied the aisle seat beside him, and I wondered why he was not moving up there because, one, naturally, anyone, whether me or him, would like some privacy. Two, men usually shift or make space for a woman in our country in a public setting. The man was glued to the seat, and I could feel his eyes on me when I was looking out the window. Some time passed by, and he started making small talk and questioning me. Things like, Where are you from? Are you going to stay in the city that you're flying to? How old are you? Is your friend coming to pick you up from the airport? I could feel the creepy vibes oozing from his sinister face, and I knew that I had to be smart enough to not tell him my personal information. I lied to him, and I told him that I indeed lived in the city that I was flying to, so there couldn't be any chance of him trying to mislead me. I avoided him and did not take my eyes off of my phone for a long time. He tried to put on the nice guy act and started telling me about his job and travel plans for the upcoming weekend, and I wasn't even replying to him at this point. I could, in some way, physically feel him getting closer to me. I was a little freaked out, but I thought I could handle this for another 20 minutes before the flight landed. At this point, the overhead lights are dimmed off in the flight as it was night, and at the exact time, I swear this creep grinned and relaxed before staring down at me like we were in love or something. I just backed up to the window and started clicking photos of the view from the flight. This is when the creep says, You're so cute. Can you give me your number? I was frozen. He was inches away from my face. No, that's weird, I replied, not being too angry about it considering he could be a psycho killer. Give me your Instagram then. At this point, I was sure that this dude would not stop at this. No, I have a boyfriend. Stop, I said sternly. This creep stared at me without blinking and put on the mask of a nice guy again, and then offered me a bottle of water. I was glad the flight attendant announced that we were about to land. I would finally be away from him. This is when he started to extend his hand towards me and whispered, Can I hold your hand? I was scared because I thought that this guy was definitely going to touch me. What? No, are you mad? I managed to semi-scream, He just gave me a blank look and said, But why? I kept quiet and was internally praying for him to leave me the hell alone. The flight eventually landed, and I hurried to get out of there with my stuff. I turned back a few times, and I could see that he was pointing towards me, and his friends were all smiling and staring at me. I quickened my pace toward the baggage claim, and so did he and his friends. I started texting my boyfriend frantically, 
and he told me to stay calm and to just get out of the airport as quickly as possible without him catching up to me. I picked my bags, and I got out of the terminal and was waiting for my cab, and I was relieved that I finally made it out. A couple moments later, I felt someone touch my hair, and I turned around and this creep was standing behind me with a crazy smile on his face. My heart was beating so hard that I thought it would jump out of my chest. Do you need a ride home? We could take you. Don't hesitate too much. Without saying anything, I picked my bags up, and I walked up closer to a family with kids, and I asked if they could accompany me to the parking lot where my Uber was waiting for me. I told them the entire ordeal, and how this weirdo would not leave me alone. They accompanied me, and waited until I was gone. I thanked them several times. This weirdo kept staring at me with his cold eyes and sunken cheeks as my Uber drove past him. He thankfully did not follow me or anything. I finally reached my boyfriend safely. The trip went smooth. I didn't think about this incident much because it was just a blur at that point. A few months later, while scrolling through my Instagram a new follow request popped up on my profile. I opened it. My heart was in my mouth. It was that creepy weirdo. He had somehow found my Instagram. His message popped up with, Remember me? I blocked him, and I deleted my Instagram, and I haven't been back on there since. P.S. My inner voice told me to complain about the weirdo to the flight attendant, but I didn't because I was already running late and I had only an hour to reach the bus stop during the rush hour. I didn't want to waste time at all by explaining the situation and getting consoled by everyone. I wasn't even sure how this thing would even pan out if I complained, because my country is a little weird about these things. I just wanted to get out of the airport ASAP and reach the bus stop in the next 40 minutes which was only possible if I could run out of the airport. Although, I do insist that if you're in a situation like this, try to get to a crowded place and ask for help from someone. Better if they're a group of friends or family. Plus, make sure you do your research about the city you're going to, and know where you're going. Hi, this is my first post in this community. I was reminded of this incident the other day after a woman posted about being stalked by a creep for almost 10 years. Well, I too started using Facebook and Orkut when I was 14. Back then, in 2009, I didn't have many friends in school, and I was elated to meet a few like-minded people online. I posted pretty regularly on a group dedicated to my small hometown. I became friends with quite a few people from the same group, but I tried to limit my interaction with people who were of my age. One day, I received a friend request from a guy, let's call him Kay, who was in his late 20s. I skimmed his profile, and I came to know that he was a high school chemistry teacher. 
I noticed that he was into writing poetry, and he posted poems and memoirs on his timeline frequently. He was undoubtedly good at writing. Anyways, I accepted his friend request and forgot about it. A few days later, I received a text from him where he introduced himself. It was a formal conversation. He asked me about my school and future plans. I didn't really think much about it. As time went on, we started chatting more often, and I told him that I wanted to take up literature in college as my major. So, he would often send me links of his poems published in various online portals to my email, from an alternate email of his, and asked for feedback. After a few months, right before my school finals, I began experiencing anxiety attacks stemming from the fear of academic failure. One day, I spoke to Kay about it, and he told me that many of his students go through similar problems, and he counsels them out of it. He gave me his number, and he asked me to call him whenever I felt anxious. He said that he would help me just like he helped his students. I knew my parents would be furious if they found out that I had exchanged phone numbers with a stranger online. But one day I decided to call Kay from our landline number. I didn't have a cell phone until I was 17, when my parents weren't home. We spoke about the usual stuff, but before hanging up, he asked me if this was the time that my parents were normally at work and there was no one home. And... I said yes. After that, he started calling me in the afternoon almost every day. Sometimes I wondered why a fully grown man, who was supposed to have a life of his own, would invest so much of his time on a teenager. Sometimes he even called me from his work. Even though the topics of discussion during the phone calls were generic, I still grew a little uncomfortable. One day, our maid, not a luxury in India, overheard me talking over the phone with Kay for an hour. I think that she figured out it wasn't someone from my school by the way I was speaking. She immediately alerted my mother. As expected, she was furious. I was not only grounded until my finals, but my parents also looked through my Facebook and my emails. The next day, my mom came home early from work, and she picked up the phone as soon as it started ringing, and asked Kay to never contact me again. I removed him from my friends list, and we never spoke again. Cut to six years later in 2015, I'm a second-year college student living in a completely different city. One day, I received this friend request from a woman that I didn't know or have any mutuals with. At this point, I was only using Facebook to stay connected with people that I knew in real life, so I deleted her request. A month later, the same woman sends me another friend request and I delete it again. Unlike the first time, she resends the request just after a few hours of it being rejected. I decided to have a closer look at her profile. She had never posted anything significant. Nothing unusual until I took a good look at her information section. The email ID used to create that Facebook account was the same one that Kay used to email me with. 
I was shocked. I dug a little deeper, and the account only had five friends. One of them was a guy, let's call him R, whose timeline was full of explicit content, including cropped screenshots from pornography videos, photos of minors in school uniforms, etc. But what startled me was a photo of a desk that he had posted. Even though it had been years, I still recognized that desk and window. Kay posed in front of it in one of his DPs when we were friends. It's his house. I checked the other profiles on the woman's friend list, and they were equally shady, and posted similar content as ours. I also googled her display picture. It was originally posted by a woman on a matrimonial site. Honestly, I was a little freaked out. I always found Kay wanting to talk to a minor for hours to be creepy, but I never imagined that the guy would go to this extent. But I guess that's how creeps work. Later, I also found text in my other folder sent from that fake profile. Anyways, I blocked all of the accounts involved. It was super weird. If I ever have children... I'm going to make sure that none of their online activities go unsupervised until they're adults. Back in the 90s, my small family at the time, which was my wife, myself, and my 8-year-old son, moved from Virginia to Rhode Island to be closer to my wife's parents. She lived there as a kid, and moved to Virginia when she was in school, which is where we met, and decided to stay. We had visited on several occasions, but since her parents were retired, they were usually the ones to come see us. There were definitely new places to visit and see that we had never been to, so it was kind of like a vacation when we first got there. A few months after moving in, we started seeing posters and newspaper ads for the state fair coming up, and my wife insisted that we go as we hadn't been to one in years. We definitely hadn't been since our son, Brendan, was born, so I agreed, thinking it would be a fun experience for our little family. I have never been to a weirder fair. We got there in the evening and we got to witness a beautiful sunset. I remember because my son was listing off the different colors in the sky. We were hoping to get there earlier to beat the rush, as we went on a Saturday, so we didn't think twice when the parking lot was pretty empty. We thought we just got lucky. But it wasn't just the parking lot that was empty. The actual fairgrounds were looking just the same. I think we spotted maybe two or three other parties, but that was it. The whole experience there was eerie. They had music playing that seemed very carnival-esque, and it was maybe three or four different songs on repeat. It would play an ad in between them about visiting certain stalls like the pretzel booth or the ring toss game. Just things like that. But... It had that muffled and crackling sound to the ads, like the really old videos have, or like an old record player. 
the recordings were probably reused for years. Another thing that made me think that was because we never even saw a specific pretzel stall. The fair had been open for about a week already, so I figured everything should have been well set up by now. Even though we still thought it was a bit odd, we just tried to make the best of it, thinking there just wouldn't be any lines or a wait, and I tried to have a good time. Besides, Brendan didn't really seem bothered by it, and he didn't seem afraid either. We bought some tickets and went to a few game booths nearby. Everyone we went to, though, was being attended by someone that said very little, and just stared at us the whole time. We went to the bottle game, where you use softballs to try to knock over the glass bottles, and the guy reeked of cigarette smoke. When he wasn't hacking up a lung and wiping his hands, he was staring at my wife. Due to the way she was raised, she didn't scare easily, so when I thought it was awkward and felt I needed to be a bit more protective, she said that we should just continue as normal. So, we tried out a few more games, but I couldn't deal with the staring. So, I thought we would just go ahead and try some rides so that we didn't have to focus on other people. Brendan chose a ride that sat four people to it, and each individual seat spun, and then the whole machine spun together. He was having a good time, but I couldn't help but notice a few of the workers standing near the ride talking, and every once in a while they would turn over to look at us, point towards us, and then turn back to talk and smirk. I told my wife that I was starting to get uncomfortable, and I thought there was something possibly sinister going on that we weren't aware of. She actually did share my concerns, after noticing the pointing. And since we did have a kid with us we decided it was best to probably just leave. Brendan still had a few tickets left, and he was adamant that we let him use them. So, we stopped at one of the games right at the entrance, which was a fishing game. While he was playing, I noticed the guy that set the game up had something in his pocket, something specific that was metallic and looked like a handle. This made me want to snatch up my son and wife and run. However, I didn't want to alarm my family or alert anyone that worked there, so I just kept them close, and as soon as he reeled in his last line, I grabbed him, and we swiftly walked to the exit. I told my wife what I saw when we got home, and she also shared that she had noticed one of them eyeing her. That was bad enough, but... When they called someone else over and they both talked quietly while smirking and making hand motions, it started putting her on edge. We talked to several people throughout the week, including her parents, and they all thought what we were describing was unreal. They said they had never had issues like that, and they almost didn't believe us. One of our friends even said that they had gone that same week as us, and they said it was very busy with lots of people, and everyone seemed friendly. I don't know why we had such an extremely different experience, but it was almost like we were pulled into some kind of different dimension in that place. We didn't go the following year being too weirded out, but we did go a few years later, 
and it was a normal fare. What's even weirder is that now that my son is an adult, we've talked to him about it, and he doesn't remember the fare being weird at all. He said he remembers the bright colors, the poppy music, and the friendly staff. He says he even remembers one of the guys doing a magic trick and getting a toy from them. I thought maybe he was remembering from another time, but he specifically said that this was when we first moved to Rhode Island, because it made him happy and excited to have moved there. I still don't understand that night, but I guess at least we made it out safe and we all seem to be ourselves. I just hope that nothing like that ever happens again. Due to an event that happened to me as a kid, and having inattentive and uncaring parents, I now hate fairs. I don't care for carnivals or circuses either, for that matter. I hate clowns and big crowds of people. Some people think it's more of a paranoia, but regardless, at least I know I'm safe. When I was around 10, I believe... My parents took me and my older brother to a local state fair. At the start, it was a lot of fun. I loved all the rides, and I specifically enjoyed the games that had the huge stuffed animals that you could win. I never did win one, but as a kid, you always have this weird air of confidence going into one of those booths, thinking that this time will definitely be different. This time I'll be stronger and have way better aim, or better luck. Sadly, it was always in my head. So, that year, my brother Ricky wanted to go through the little haunted house they had set up each year. He was around 14 or 15 at the time. I don't think I was old enough to do it prior, but I was finally able to. I was excited to get to go through, but at the same time, I was super nervous. But when Ricky teased me about being scared, I knew that I had to do it. So while my mom waited outside, my dad, myself, and Ricky all went in. I underestimated how scared I was going to get, though. It started out pretty cheesy. It had a dark path that was slightly outlined, kind of looking like a mini golf course. There were some small ghosts moving on the ground and floating from the sky, but it slowly got worse and worse as the fake bodies fell out of holes in the walls, a couple of bloodied skeletons dangled from the ceiling, but it all started to get to be too much for me. When real people started jumping out and holding weapons, I got overwhelmed. I know that I screamed and started crying several times, and I remember doing everything I could to keep a hold of my dad or my brother's hand. My brother would shake me off, as boys do, since holding my hand wasn't cool, so I would end up finding my dad's hand to hold instead. At one point, something had happened causing me to fall down. It was dark, so I quickly got up and called out for my dad and brother. I didn't hear a response from Ricky, but I heard my dad say something. He sounded close, so I walked toward his voice and grabbed his hand again. 
we were getting to the end, which became a very enclosed hallway, so my dad put his hand on my back and pushed me in front of him. This hall was completely dark. I couldn't even see my hand in front of my face, and I was worried about somebody jumping out at me. I think I was holding up some people with how slow that I was walking, so I started whimpering, trying to get through it, but I was finding it hard to walk any faster. That's when my dad actually picked me up. I was a very small girl for my age, but my dad obviously rarely carried me at that age, so I didn't expect it. But I was going to take full advantage of it, and I buried my head in his neck, closing my eyes so I didn't see anything in case something else happened. I started hearing the sounds like we had made it to the end, like the soft, spooky music that was playing at the entrance, so I knew we were done with the house, but not the horror. I felt my dad stroke the back of my hair and seemingly sniffed my hair. I thought he was being funny, so I looked up at him, and I realized that this wasn't my dad at all. I was a kid, so his hand was big and slightly rough, so I thought it felt like his. And since I was ten and terrified, I didn't question it when he picked me up. But when I saw his face and his creepy smile, I flipped out. I tried wriggling off of him, but he seemed to hold me tighter. I noticed that he was also walking to the back side of the haunted house, which scared me even more. Why was he trying to take me to a secluded spot? The only thing behind there was part of a parking lot that they used for storage and trash. So the only thing I could do at that point was scream. I screamed with all of my might and I wiggled and I hit this guy in his chest and I flailed my legs. We started attracting attention and I don't know if it was that or if he had let his guard down, but I managed to slip right through his arms, dodging him as he tried to grab me and I took off. I just remember running as far as I could away from that guy and yelling for my parents or my brother. Finally, I saw my mom and I ran to her. She was confused, because she said she hadn't yet seen my dad or Ricky, and was surprised when I got out first. I told her about the man that I had run into, and I don't think she fully understood what had actually occurred. She first thought it was funny that I ran to someone that I thought was my dad. I tried telling her that he wouldn't let me go, and she said something like, Well, you got away, so it's okay. Yeah, my parents weren't the best. Anyways, I stuck close to my parents after that, terrified that that guy was going to come back for me. As you may have guessed, my parents never reported this creep, and now being an adult... It pisses me off so much. I don't have a good relationship with my parents, and their lack of safety is definitely one of the reasons. I even remember news stories on TV talking about how a little girl had been abducted from a fair in our area one year. It was after the one that I went to, but I was still young at that point, and I always remember thinking, that could have been me. And it very well could have been the same guy. I don't remember if the girl was ever found, as I've been trying to find articles on it, but haven't had any luck so far. 
if there's a takeaway from this, it's to be a better parent than mine were. If you're a parent, and if you're a kid, just don't trust any strangers, no matter what. I, 22, female, had an unsettling thing happen, and I need support, or somewhere to share. I don't know, I'm freaked out. Anyways, I'm a pet sitter, and I've been pet sitting in my area while taking college classes for four years now. I'm well established, and usually very on top of things. This slip could have cost me, Yesterday, I got a call from someone who needed a pet sitter to walk their dog, but they live out of state and were going to be in a hotel room. It sounds sketchy already. I tried to see the good in people, though, so I pushed forward with the meet and greet, which was today. My boyfriend overheard me talking to my mom about where I was going, and he was immediately suspicious. He told me all about human trafficking and the different methods they use. He said he absolutely did not want me to take the job no matter what story they gave me. I told him I couldn't just cancel the meet and greet, so he drove me there. I met a woman in her 50s with her husband and the dog. They said they were here on business working in construction. Everything went fine. She showed me around their hotel room, and gave me instructions for the dog along with the room key. We talked about my college classes and my future plans, but I was on guard the whole time. I noticed when we entered the stairwell to go upstairs, the husband said he was going to get the laundry and went downstairs as we went up. So then, I was even more on guard. It's a little weird because... They had just arrived at the hotel an hour before we met. Why would they be doing laundry? I agreed to the one week of walks, gave her my rate, and I left. Skip forward to later, and we tried digging deeper to find out all that we could about these people. My boyfriend searched the phone number of the lady, and it gave a lot of information. Addresses, names, a lot more than I expected. Out of all the information we found, the weirdest and freakiest thing was that the number she gave me was activated in July, one month ago. What the heck? I mean, maybe it could be a coincidence, but that was weird. The reason I say that my boyfriend saved me is because I didn't think of any of this stuff. Call me stupid if you want, but if he didn't overhear me and talk some sense into me... I would have blindly gone through with this, and who knows what would have happened. I'm supposed to start on Tuesday, but I'm going to make up an excuse and cancel. Around three or four years ago, when I was 12, I was at my aunt's house visiting for camp. I was upstairs and saw the camera go off, saying that someone was at the back door. It was my older cousin, so I went downstairs to open the door. I was able to see him for a little bit before I actually got to the door, with the window by the door. 
and he looked so determined and focused on opening the door. He spent less than a minute there, and then got in his car and sped off. I didn't think much about this, honestly. All I thought was, oh, he must have been in a rush if he didn't bother to call us to open the door. I was even thinking about opening the door and calling out to him before he drove off, but I was feeling lazy that day. About two minutes later, the house phone started ringing along with my personal phone and my grandma's phone. I picked it up, and it was another one of my aunts telling me not to open the door and to stay away from the windows. They told me they had already called the cops, but that I should call again. I was confused, and I had asked what happened. They explained that my aunt and cousin got into a very heated argument about the business that she owned, and left him $300,000 in debt, the day before that led to him hitting her. The next day, he came looking for her very upset, but he couldn't find her at the office. He proceeded to drive to my aunt's house while on the phone with some family members, telling them how he was going to kill my aunt, which was his mother. I remember going to the kitchen and picking up a knife to keep with me just in case. I was shaking while thinking about where to hide. He ended up coming back, and he started walking around the house looking through the windows before he sat on the front step. Luckily, I was on the second floor. I don't even know what exact time I called the police due to my panicking. The cops ended up coming and made my cousin leave, but my grandma wanted to talk with him first. Throughout their whole talk, I still hid upstairs listening through an open window. I prayed that she didn't mention my name in case he came back later in the night. Luckily, he never did. To this day, I am so glad I did not open that door. I feel like I was truly protected. We normally don't lock both the screen door and the actual door, but we did that day. He struggled so much with the lock on the screen door that he broke the handle. Luckily, it didn't open to the door where he knew the code. The situation still gives me so much anxiety, and I don't understand how we went back to acting like nothing happened. I've never been back since, just in case he snaps again. We moved into our apartment-slash-townhouse complex at the beginning of the year. We live in a cute little loft-type townhouse. My husband works about an hour away and does a hybrid schedule. Part-time, he works from home, and the other he goes to the office. He also works a swing shift, so he doesn't come home until around midnight. We wanted to be closer to our friends and family, so we moved into a gated community in our hometown. The security guards make my husband feel better about leaving me alone with the dogs on the days that he had to go to the office. I first noticed weird things happening the first week that my husband went back to the office. Every day when I took my dogs out, I would have to go outside first because someone kept leaving food on our doorstep. I was constantly throwing it out. I even mentioned it to my spouse, and I thought that it was on purpose, 
and it was annoying that it was the food dogs shouldn't eat. Then I noticed the guy. He would smoke in front of my apartment. He was in front of one of the apartment buildings, but I never saw his face, because he was always in the shadows. I would just see his shadow and red embers of whatever he was smoking. So far, not so bad, right? Things started to escalate when whoever it was realized what my husband's schedule was. As soon as it got dark, I would hear walking back and forth from the pathway between the buildings. At first, I just thought it was people in the complex walking their dogs, but I started hearing light knocks at my door so light that I wasn't sure that I was hearing them at first. I would peek out my window and see no one. As weeks passed by, the knocks would get louder, but every time I would check, there would be nobody there. Sometimes I would open the door, and no one. It's super easy to get away, though. We're a corner unit, and there's four paths to go to different areas of the complex. It was weird. But things kept escalating, and my dog started to react and would bark when she sensed someone walk to the door. I would hear a man giggling when I would go down the stairs to open the door, but they would be gone by the time I actually opened the door. Once the dog was snarling by the big window next to the door, and I had the creepiest experience. Someone was whispering and taunting the dog. They were saying things like, What are you gonna do, puppy? You can't get me. Or, You wanna bite me, boy? But you can't. I was terrified and called the security guards to tell them what was going on. They came. No one was there except the smoking guys who said that he saw nothing because he had just come out. Security patrolled for a couple of nights, but nothing happened on those nights. Again, this only happened when my husband wasn't home, so whoever it was knew his schedule. And suddenly, and as quick as it started, it stopped. I also noticed that the smoking man was now gone. Rumor was that he was part of an infamous toxic couple in the complex. You would hear them for hours screaming at each other, until one day she'd had enough and her brother came to help her kick the dude out for good. It was then that things clicked. The couple was quiet at night. They never fought after dark. The dude that was smoking only came out after dark. While I only saw him in the same spot, he was probably the one that was messing with me. Things stopped as soon as he got kicked out. What creeps me out more is that, when I took the dog out, he would sometimes wave hello. Now it makes sense why our dog always pulled me away as soon as she spotted him. I want to start this by saying that this was a very long time ago, when times were very different. And I don't hold any ill will towards people for it either. Back when my biological brother and I were about 12 and 13, we went to a local fair with the rest of our family. There were about seven of us kids at the time, as well as my parents. 
we were the second and third oldest, so we were allowed to venture around on our own while our parents took care of our younger siblings. One of our favorite rides was supposed to be scary. I don't remember the name of it, but it was like a roller coaster. It had flashing lights and screaming, and while it didn't go upside down, it did go sideways. Like, the seats went at a 90 degree angle. We thought that we were tough since we weren't afraid of it, so we went on it a lot. So when we went on it this year, we expected it to go as it did every other year. We liked to sit in the front, but by the time we got there, it was already taken. So we sat in the very back. We went through the normal line and the ride operator led us through, but yet, the whole time that we sat there waiting... He was constantly looking back at us, looking angry. We were always taught to respect your elders, so we just looked away or looked down and kept our mouths shut, but my brother and I looked at each other like we had both noticed. Once a few more people got in, he started walking to pull down the chest bars. There was a buckle that went across our lap that we did ourselves, and then the operator would pull down the bar that went over our shoulders, like a backpack. I watched as he pushed the little latch on the ones in front of us to bring it down, and then as he approached us, we made eye contact. He tapped the side of the ride and turned around to head back to his stand, without lowering our safety bar. We just thought that maybe he had forgotten and tried to get his attention, but he didn't even turn around. We tried to pull it down ourselves, but between the angle and being a child, without the strength of an adult, it didn't budge. So, we tried to yell a bit more to get his attention again, which caused the guy in front of us to look back. He wouldn't have been able to help with the bar either, but it was obvious that he understood the problem. The operator, however, didn't seem to see a problem as he made the warning for the ride starting, and then we felt the jolt of the ride moving. That's when we started panicking and screaming. With the side being up in the air a bit and going sideways, we were terrified of falling out and getting hurt, if not dying. Thankfully, the guy in front of us also started yelling for the man to stop the ride, and between the three of us, it was getting the attention of the rest of the passengers. Part of me still wonders if he would have kept going if no one else had noticed. Thankfully, he did stop it, with half of it on the beginning track. The operator angrily came over and basically harped on us for making such a scene. We didn't know what to say, but... Thankfully, the guy in front of us had our backs and yelled at this guy for not checking the bar. The operator then said that the back seat was supposed to be out of order because the bar was broken, and then accused us of sneaking onto the ride. Those were the reasons he claimed that he didn't check ours. He looked right at us multiple times, so if he knew we weren't supposed to be there, why wouldn't he just tell us to get out? Instead, he risked the lives of two young boys. Again, the guy in front of us didn't fall for that, as he saw us get in too, and this caused an argument between the two men. 
we ended up getting off the ride, and after some choice words, the man walked with us back to our parents. He explained to us that there was an incident on the last ride, and for our safety, he just wanted to walk us back. The rest of that day was pretty dull, as we were nervous to ride anything else that we hadn't ridden already, and we definitely didn't want to go without our parents. I don't know what my brother's true thoughts on the matter were that night, but I do know how I felt, and it's always stuck with me to this day. My brother and I were foster kids, and we definitely didn't look like our parents and some of our other siblings, if you catch my drift. Since we've been looked at funny before, I always wonder if that guy that night was thinking the same thing. If he felt so strongly about us that he was willing to potentially risk our lives, like I said, it was a different time, so it's definitely possible. Thankfully, I don't run into that kind of thing anymore, but I do hope that that man changed his ways. I have a short and super basic story that is probably considered tame in comparison to some of the others out there, but to me was one of the most terrifying nights of my life. My boyfriend and I rent a house that is owned by his aunt and uncle, and is pretty much in the middle of nowhere. We live on the outskirts of a small town, but the land out here is owned by his family, and this house was built to be in the back corner of their lot. It was supposed to be their getaway cabin, or something like that. We ended up in a weird situation, and we needed a place to stay, and they basically told us we could live there as long as we paid rent, and they didn't want much, so we jumped on it. That's all to say that the house itself is rather isolated, and there's only one way to get there if you're not on foot, and that is the long driveway that goes out to a gravel road. There are no other houses around, as, again, his family owns all this land, and this is in the back corner. The part of this that I don't like is that my husband's job has him sometimes going on business trips that last around three to four days. And when this happens, I get to spend time alone in this empty cabin. I'm going to be honest here, there is very little that I'm scared of, but when I'm alone, I get terrified of how dark and quiet this place ends up being. As you can probably assume... The creepy story happened on a day where he was out of town, and I was home all by myself. It was the middle of spring, and my husband was a couple of states away for a conference, so I was home alone with, at the time, a very young puppy that we had taken in from a friend of his, so that me being alone didn't feel quite so lonely. I had spent the whole day trying to train him to not go on the floor, and taking him for a walk around the property, so I was pretty exhausted by the early evening. Since it was just me and the pup, I decided to go ahead and sleep on the couch with the TV on, which I know that's not healthy, but I didn't want to go sleep in the bed all alone. So I'd put on a TV show and was just lying there with the puppy, watching whatever came on, 
and I heard what sounded like someone walking outside the window. I obviously jumped up because, again, a super isolated little house out in the middle of nowhere. I perked up a bit, and I looked out the nearby window to see if someone was there, but I couldn't really see anything. After a few moments of feeling a bit anxious, I finally came to a mental conclusion that there was no way that I heard somebody. It was probably just the wind or a deer or something like that. I got comfortable again, and I started to doze off after just a few moments. Probably around an hour after I fell asleep, I did one of those half-awake, slow-wake-up things where I was mostly conscious, but my eyes were still closed. After trying to go back to sleep, I started thinking that I was smelling something. Something that didn't smell like my home. It almost smelled like a person's bad breath. At first I thought it was the dogs, but I slowly opened my eyes to try to figure out what it was, when the source of it was literally right in front of my face. As soon as I opened my eyes, I saw the face of a man that I have never seen before in my life, just staring at me. I don't think I have ever jumped that hard in my life, and I definitely let out a quick scream, which caused him to jump as well. He then gets up and starts running towards the door, and before he leaves, he seriously looks back and says, You forgot to lock your door and then takes off into the yard. I was just sitting there with my heart racing a mile a minute, watching this man walk out my front door and down the driveway to the dirt road, and just take off down the road like nothing had ever happened. I have absolutely no idea who this man was, how he knew my house was here, and why the hell he had walked into my house like that and been staring at me. There was no reason for him to be on this property, or to be anywhere near my house. And what's worse, I know for a fact that I did not leave the front door unlocked, because I lock it the second I get inside. It's a habit. So, I don't even know how he got into my house. I obviously told my husband and his family that owned the property... They didn't know who he was based on the description either. So, that was the most terrifying moment of my life. And it definitely made me want to never stay home alone ever again. The next couple of times that my husband went out of town, I actually took the dog to his aunt's house a few miles down the road and just stayed there. Of course, now the pup is full-grown, and he's one hell of a guard dog, so... I'm not really anywhere near as concerned. But I still hope that I never meet that man ever again. I'm an independent photographer and graphic designer. I take photos for anything from family photos, weddings, birthdays, boudoir, anything. There's very little that is off-limits to me. I also enjoy touching up photos on request of the customer, and I even make merchandising, like calendars, business cards, and the likes. Being self-employed, 
gives me the opportunity to travel all over for different people and friends, and it also gives me the opportunity to take photos of things that I really enjoy, nature and abandoned places. There's just something about seeing an abandoned house or building, and being able to capture it being taken back over by nature, that really speaks to me. You can also stand in these places and get a sense of the memories that were made here, both the good and the bad. I had a friend that had invited me to her bachelorette party, and also wanted me to be her photographer. However, she lived in Chicago, Illinois, and I lived right outside Boulder, Colorado. So, I was taking a solo road trip. Of course, that didn't really bother me because I enjoyed it. I left a few days early knowing that I would end up stopping randomly for photos, and I brought along plenty of equipment. While driving through parts of Kansas, I learned of an abandoned fairground that was nearby, and I knew that I had to check it out. This place was not easily visible, so it did take me a few minutes to finally find it. I wouldn't suggest this, but I wasn't sure if people were allowed in, so I parked in a nearby lot, and I trekked across a field to get there. It was honestly breathtaking. There was this cute little shoe house that was sun-faded, an old roller coaster that was being overgrown by trees and vines, and what looked like a haunted house, or funhouse-style building, that looked like it had caught fire at one point. I got some great shots, and you could really stand there and feel the presence and imagine what the place was like when it was open. But that joyous feeling soon faded when I started feeling like I wasn't alone. It was that feeling like when someone hovers over your shoulder. I found myself constantly looking over my shoulder and scanning the area, expecting somebody to be there, and hopefully they would just tell me to leave. But I never caught anyone. I do believe in the paranormal, so part of me also thought that maybe it was a strong energy that was left here. Since I didn't see anybody, I decided to keep walking around and shoot what I could. But that feeling still lingered, and it didn't stop there. I started hearing what sounded like someone walking, like the slight tap on the concrete or crunch of leaves and other debris on the ground. However, it was only whenever I walked. I know it sounds odd, but I knew it wasn't from me. I could walk while watching my feet, timing the sounds, and the ones that I was hearing were not from me. Now, I was starting to really feel like I was being followed or watched. It was kind of spooking me, so I thought I would slowly make my way out. I tried to be sly and take a panorama to kind of get another glimpse of the area, but then I noticed that everything seemed to stop. There was no longer a breeze, there was no sway from the trees and other vegetation, the dilapidated canopy was still, and the sound of wildlife were completely gone. I picked up my pace and got back to my car, I put my camera in the passenger seat, and I left. I noticed that there were no other cars or people around like I was expecting. It is possible they parked in another secluded place, but definitely not seeing a car made it a little more uneasy. I made it to my destination, and the party was great. 
I took a lot of great photos. I even told them about my experience and my friend wanted to visit it someday herself. I would love to go back too, but I think it would be a better experience when I'm not alone. When I got home, I set up my camera and my computer and I was excited to go through all of the photos. The pictures from the fairground came out just as I had hoped, but I also realized that I had captured more than what I expected. In the picture by the canopy, there was a small dark figure standing next to it. I couldn't quite make out what it was, and even in zooming in, there were no details. I started spotting some more figures near the roller coasters, near the entrance, and most alarming for me was the panorama. It appears that I was surrounded by these figures, and I never even knew it. I knew I felt like I was being watched, and yes, it was a bit unsettling, but I never really felt like I was in danger. I don't know if whatever these things were were just curious, or maybe even protecting me. I later learned about this place and that there were a few fatal accidents on the roller coaster, so I wonder if some of the figures I saw were from them. I'm just thankful that they weren't aggressive, though, and I hope I can go back to witness more. Maybe with my own eyes, instead of through a lens. Hey there, friends. That was today's episode of the As the Raven Dreams podcast, and I really hope that you all enjoyed this collection of scary stories. If you did, please do consider checking out my YouTube channel where I do these same stories, but a little bit earlier than I do them here on the podcast form, and also in slightly different collections. If you really enjoy the podcast, please do consider giving it a rating of any sort if the platform you're listening on has ratings. Any honest rating is appreciated by me, be it 5 star, 1 star, however you want to do it. Just know that rating the podcast helps tremendously. And, if you would like to support further, I do have a Patreon and channel memberships if you'd like to do things on the YouTube side, where for as little as a dollar a month, you get early access to my content. Never ever expected, but always appreciated. That said, friends... I hope that I do see you on the next episode of this podcast. And of course, until then, sleep well.